Josh Arnold. And I'm Casey Cordero, and this is Throttle On, the podcast about all things ATV, UTV, and off-road. Today on the show, we're going to start out by giving everyone a glimpse into 2018, both for our podcast and for what might be going on in the industry. We're going to do a little speculating. Then we're going to run through some news in the truck world as well as the UTV or ATV world. We're going to spend quite a bit of time today going over this brand new Razor RS1. Casey had the opportunity to ride this thing, and it's a unique vehicle. We we are going to talk about it, and then we're going to wrap things up talking about the King of the Hammers race, which we both had an opportunity to go to last week. Kind of give you a feel for what that is, for those of you who don't know, and what it's like to go experience it for yourself. And that's what we have on the agenda, and I think we probably ought to just jump right in. What do you think, sir? Let's do it. Um, I'm excited for this thing because we're going to, like you said, jump right into 2018 here and get some ideas about what is in store for this podcast, um, which we we want to do some some more interviews and, and also include some more adventure in here um, as we move forward this year. You want to explain a little bit about that's that? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh one of the things, you know, we want our, our listeners, you guys, to have lots of ideas of adventures that you can take your ATV or UTV or go rent one and go experience the off-road and enjoy it and have that smile on your face that we get to enjoy all the time. We want to spend many episodes, just at least part of it, diving into places you guys can go ride. Part of that, too, we can interview and will interview some people that run those places. And what you can expect when you go. Also, I know that we want to get some interviews done with the actual designers and engineers and planners behind some of these machines and what they're going for when they release something new. So you guys get a feel for what's involved. That's one of the benefits of being able to do what we do is we get to see some of the behind the scenes. And what's cool is a lot of these engineers and designers are so passionate about the off-road world and that translates into kind of seeing how they design vehicles and what's involved in that. And most of that stuff they they share with us, which means they can share it with you as well. And they're cool guys and gals. They're right. everyday people. And and that's something that a lot of our coverage in magazines and such, we don't really dive into them as people. And I think that that's one of the coolest part of our jobs is being able to meet these kind of people who love the off-road and love to design vehicles that let you guys go out and have fun. Mm -hmm. So we want to include, we'll be doing some interviews with people like that, as well as maybe some other editors in the industry. Uh, I know that for me, when I started traveling and meeting people, being able to meet guys that have written articles for years in the magazines that I read was just so cool for me. Um, And what a privilege it is now to know them and call them friends. So uh, we want to introduce you to some of those people as well. So we're going to do a lot of interviews besides just bringing you along for the ride with us because, you know, we're fun guys. So that's kind of what we have in store for for 2018. It's so funny because there's so many different things to talk about uh, in the industry. Just as you mentioned, you know, interviewing the designers and the engineers behind the machines, um, as, as you just said. You know, they're, they're passionate people and they love the off-road world and they, they wouldn't be doing what they do unless they, they absolutely did love it. So it's pretty cool to, to get to know them. And, and uh, also, I mean, obviously, we, we love what we do too and, and uh, we're very thankful for it. And 
Um, if we can do this on a weekly basis, then, I mean, why not, right? Why not? We want to be those guys that say why not and not why. Yes, exactly. How can we make this happen? <laughs> That's right. So. And, and I'll just go on and throw out, we also have something else in the works that we're planning to bring to the industry in 2018 that ought to be a heck of a lot of fun, both for us and hopefully for you guys as listeners and maybe viewers. Hey-o. We just have to see what we can pull together. Yeah, yeah, that's not cryptic at all. Uh, you know, we appreciate all of you who listen to this podcast more so than you realize. There's so many of us out there that love this off-road stuff. And we even want to get into a point where, where we get your feedback mm-hmm. and, and talk to some of you guys, maybe even on the show. So we're excited for 2018. To say the least, this is going to be a big year for Throttle On. So, All right, uh, enough hype, enough hype. Uh, we wanted to do just a brief couple of minutes of speculation between us of what we might see in the industry in 2018 because it seems like when we're out visiting with people and going to machine intros and there's always the speculation when the new year hits about who's going to do what in 2018. So why not just talk about that for a couple of minutes? Yeah, it's uh, it's been a fun year already. Uh, even it's it's only February right now, but yeah, we had to, we had to lots keep of the, new stuff already. Yeah, it's crazy because we had to keep this uh, new Polaris Razor RS1 under wraps for I mean it seemed like months. I think we drove it back in November or October of last year. Uh, so, uh, anyways, it's it's been a it's been fun to 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 know about it, but at the same time, it's be it's really given us a lot of anticipation for 2018. Um, and you and I have talked about it here in the last month or so, but we think 2018 is really going to be a banner year for a lot of different people, including uh, whether it's Can-Am, Yamaha, uh, Polaris. Uh, we keep talking about uh, I got you know somebody coming out with um, an X3 killer. Uh, well, we we reference it as that. I mean, something that can compete with that, the big travel numbers and the horsepower and all that stuff, uh, you know, from a different manufacturer other than Can-Am. So. Uh, you seem to think that Polaris is going to do that, uh, I, I guess. It seemed like in July when Polaris introduced their 2018 lineup, there was a lot of speculation by a lot of people, particularly customers. And for that matter, us, or at least myself, I don't remember if you thought this, but that they would be coming out with something that would, would rival the X3, as you said, in travel numbers and certainly in horsepower. And Polaris didn't do it. They released the Dynamics. I think a lot of that probably had to do with how many recalls Polaris has had and really trying to get a a better grip on quality control. And so I don't think we're going to see them rush to market with products, even when they might get outgunned, which in the case of the X3, they've been outgunned. And Polaris isn't going to sit by and let that happen for too long. But also, I think... Two years is enough time for them to come up with a, a some kind of a razor or race more race ready razor than even we've seen that will go up against the X3. I think 2018 or excuse me, this year in a 2019 type vehicle, I think that's when we're going to see it happen. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, and I I don't know. Yeah. I could be totally wrong, but uh, which I'm used to. <laughs> but uh, I do think I think two years is enough time to develop that vehicle and still get the quality that they're looking to get and uh, 
And so, you know, that's my speculation. Okay. Well, for for a couple of reasons, uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to be the, the devil's advocate here, and I think uh, I'm going to say that they're going to wait another year. And there's a, there's a couple of reasons okay. for that, but I, I, uh, I think uh, some of it's based off of the Razer RS1 and the components that are included in that vehicle. Um, so anyways, we'll dive into that a little bit more when we talk about uh, that specific car here in a few minutes. But um, yeah, I, I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna wait. I, I do think since we mentioned the X3, I think the Can-Am is gonna keep building out their Maverick lineup. Yeah. Uh, or Commander. Yeah, for that absolutely. Matter. Yeah, I, I think that the X3 lineup is 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 awesome, and I and I really I think they fulfilled that goal of making it one of, if not the most well-rounded lineup, um, in the. I mean, literally in the industry as far as a super sport and, um, you know, anywhere from from a budget model with that same chassis all the way up to a super sport model. Uh, we did a uh, shameless plug, I guess, but uh, in this issue, current issue um, of UTV sports, I mean, I, I reviewed the X3, the XRS turbo R and it's, I put in a full lineup of the X, basically a full X3 lineup explanation and, and quick overview of each machine that's in that lineup. And I mean, it took like two and a half pages, you know, to do this of the magazine and I'm not complaining, but Holy smokes, like there's a <laughs> lot of vehicles for you to choose from, from, you know, I basically, uh, what is it? It's $18,000, right? For the 900 HO, um, you know. Yeah, it is. Yeah, entry level, entry level model of the X3, but you still get the, the same very capable chassis and, and you get that uh, nice interior that's got a lot of room and stuff and all the way up to, uh, you know, the two seater uh, X3 XRS is, is 26, um, about $26,500. So you know, and you can option out an X3 Max, uh, almost up to 30. I mean, it's 29, uh, high 29s right in there. So anyways, as far this as this is crazy, but yeah, yes, <laughs> it's, it's got some big depth. So that's all. Um, we, I definitely think, uh, from my standpoint, I think they'll, they'll either release a new commander or build out that, uh, the map, the standard Maverick lineup, uh, above the trail, maybe introduce a, a new 64 inch model or revised 64 inch model, something there. And then that commander, um, also in the notes, we have the fact that, you know, maybe Yamaha come out with the turbo and the YXZ. Yeah. They continue. Yamaha is another company that's, pardon the pun here, Mr. Casey, but, uh, on the gas yeah, baby. with their side-by-side lineups. And they just, every year they're coming out with a new side-by-side of some yeah. kind. And there's continued speculation that they're going to put the turbo, which you can buy aftermarket, put on a YXZ. You can put, uh, an actual Yamaha turbo kit now onto a yxc mm -hmm. and the horsepower numbers are insane yeah. i can't remember what it is but it takes it from like the one 112 113 i believe all the way up to like 180 or 190 so i mean some ridiculous number yeah correct me if i'm wrong on that but it's a huge number no i'm pretty sure that's on pump gas too like not even race fuel so yeah. they're uh yeah. yeah i mean they're that would be uh, that would be just uh, just epic yeah. speed out of the thing because it'll go i know i've said i mean it'll run 78 flat out with with a limiter it limits out at 78 to 80 yeah so the idea that you would pump it you know almost double the horsepower i mean that's just crazy anyway i get lost i get lost in those dreams yeah anywho but i do think it's feasible that yamaha will go ahead and put a turbo on it as an option off the dealer floor and then I also, we keep seeing a four-seat version like chassis of the YXZ. And considering they released the four-seat four version of the Wolverine, it might be a, a 
step to go on and bring two more passengers into the YXZ for 2019. Yeah. So yeah. that would be another piece of speculation. Or they could totally throw us off and come out with a completely different vehicle again. Yeah. Yep. I think, uh, yep, I'm, I'm excited for the Yamaha stuff. Uh, there's there's definitely some speculation with the other manufacturers. Um, you know, Kawasaki has been, I think, uh, you know, speculated to to work on a new sport model. I, I don't yeah. know. I, I almost want to say it's going to be another year. I think it's going to be 2019. Um, but, uh, hey, prove me wrong. Like, that would be awesome if we had a new, yeah. uh, you know, 64-inch model or, or whatever they want to come out with. They've got a... I mean, Kawasaki has an amazing powertrain and platform that, you know, has proven to get people to the destination and back, you know, no matter what. So, uh, you know, it's just like Yamaha. Their, their stuff is, is bulletproof, basically. So uh, I would love to see something from Cowie. Suzuki, I don't think we'll ever really do anything in the uh, in the UTV yeah. market, but it's okay. You know, rumors been abound that Honda, you know, it was wanted to do yeah, something. Yeah, lots but... of rumors on the Honda. Yeah, I, I still, I'm... I'm I'm skeptical to read into that. You know, I, I just don't know if Honda's going to do something like that, but you never know. They could. That's right. You never know. They've got they might some surprises big time. Yeah. This year. I mean, that thousand power plant that they have in the Pioneer 1000, I mean, it'd be fun with paddle shifters to drop into a, uh, a sport machine. There's no doubt about it. But like we always say, the, uh, you know, the adventure rack and the, and the recreational and also the, utility market i mean that's the bread and butter for this utv industry still so um i see where they're going you know with with producing the pioneer as it is there's nothing wrong with that it's a great machine <laughs> i always wonder and we can wrap it up with this but i was when we're sitting here speculating especially when you're talking pure sport to super sport and what there's got to be some point at which you go you know we have enough power in these vehicles and certainly yeah. there's got to be a price point in which people go we don't need it that bad. Yeah. However, it's clear we have not found that price point yet, and we're right, and we're right at thirty grand. So there are definitely people who are willing to pay that kind of money for these kind of vehicles. Yep. There's so. one other one too that I'll mention quickly, but I think uh, with Polaris releasing that new body style on the Ranger XP1000, I think that will oh, yeah. make its way throughout the entire lineup this year, or maybe not the entire lineup, but a lot more of the Ranger lineup this year. And we've, we've said it before, but it's a looker. It's good. And, uh, I hope that it's a looker. It's a looker, you know, um, it's a looker. Yeah. I think a lot of the, the other companies too, between like Ode's UTV and Kimco and, and, uh, there's another one called Mahindra that's going to be releasing a new machine here pretty quick. We've seen some teaser videos out of it. So, um, I think these other companies, uh, will start building out their lineups too, because the, the market's there. It'll be good. Yeah, the market market is there. Yep. So it gives us of, more to talk about. Yeah, exactly. And and speaking of different markets, we uh we want to I think maybe jump into the news here uh and the latest happenings uh in the truck world too and we just got through with the North American International Auto Show uh where there was a a ton of trucks being released out there. It's inter interesting and surprising so many big new changes yeah. in one year. I, I can't believe it. I mean, uh, like these guys have almost lined up their product releases, so they're all together now. So you yeah. can't you, – it's really difficult to choose between a truck these days. Um, you know, yeah. and, and and frankly, one of the, the guys that uh, – and I shouldn't say it as guys, but one of the companies that's got the most momentum is Ram in the Chrysler Group. I mean, they, they are on the gas. Definitely. 
So, and they, they just released their new Ram 1500, and it's, uh, I mean, it, it, again, it's a looker, you know, and it's a good truck, and um, they they made some some key upgrades to it. They didn't go all aluminum, like the Ford, uh, and we'll talk about the Chevy here in a second. The Chevy has a couple aluminum parts, uh, but the uh, the Ram stuck with mostly steel uh, uh, pretty much everywhere, except the, I believe it's just the hood and the tailgate. Um, uh, it's the, I thought it was... The roof, I think it's, it's the, roof. the roof, the hood, and the tailgate are aluminum, and then everything else is steel. Yes, I believe and that. And the way they're, without looking at the press release in front of me at this moment, but I also think, uh, and, you know, and they sell it as, it's not a good idea. Basically, what they're saying is, they want to be strategic in where they put aluminum, right. rather than go all aluminum. And... Which is funny to me, is it's I think that Ford, in this case, I think Ford definitely has paved the way for all of them to go mostly aluminum, and a lot of that I think is aftermarket, um, like body shops adjusting to having to do repairs on mostly aluminum as opposed to mostly steel. Right. I think there's a ramp up time to to that, and Ford has paved the way. I think it's funny when you read these press releases, both for Ram and the new Chevy, is they've both gone to significant body panels being aluminum. Yes. But they're also sticking with, you know, steel as well. Yep. The trend, the overall trend for the industry is definitely weight savings. And then with that, increased capability. You talked about the body panels and stuff, but the inside is really, man, that's where it's at with that new Ram. Yeah. Holy smokes. They lengthen the, the cab. I think it's four inches. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. And it's, I mean, it's, uh, it gives you not only leg room on the, on the upscale models, they actually have a, you know, the seat not only folds up in the back, um, for the back seats to give you a uh, load flat, uh, totally flat floor, but also it gives you uh, reclining. I think it's up to eight degrees that the, the rear seat mm -hmm. reclines and holy smokes, man. I, I mean, you know, I just I need a uh, a driver or, or somebody or uh, you know it's a I'm just kidding I really don't need a driver I love driving but um, it would be a pleasure to be in the back of that seat too you'd be able to sleep all the way to to your trail destination you know and stuff so <laughs> the kids will enjoy it let's put it that way yeah so and I've I've even noticed I think on that model as well as the Ford and the Chevys uh, the new ones. You can even get heated rear seats now. Yep. Yep. Which, hey, I, I wouldn't complain on cold days if That's I had true. to ride in the back. Right. Not that I'm used to riding in the back of my own truck. Probably will never happen. As you said, I like driving. Yep. Um, well, you're like driving even yeah, more the, with that screen. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's just a, uh, amazing the, the level of comfort that the new trucks have. I, I still remember... I mean, my first pickup was a 93 Chevy regular cab short bed. Mm -hmm. And it had cloth seat. It had a cloth bench seat, nonetheless. And it was uh, the base model with a few extra things called the Texas Oklahoma package. For those of you who know what that is. Um, but And I was thrilled with it. And, and sometimes, you know, it was nice to have a truck that was simple. You could get in. It didn't have carpet on the floors. But you could get in. You weren't worrying about tearing stuff up. 
And mm-hmm. I was, I loved that truck. I used it. I didn't abuse it, but I used it. And it was a great truck. And now you have to pay the same cost as your starter home to buy these high-end trucks. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm torn sometimes. Anyway, but, you know, the Ram, the new Ram, it's funny. I've talked to some Ram owners who don't like the way it looks at all. And then I've talked really? to some people who really like the way it looks. Same with the new Chevy. I yes. talked to a couple of people who were Chevy people, and they hate the way it looks. And then talked to a couple more, and they love the way it looks. Yeah. Just like with UTVs and ATVs, we're so particular about our, our trucks. And I kind of like both of them. Yeah. Uh, but, hey, to each their own. Exactly. I think the... Uh... It's funny because Ford kind of always had the, I don't know, the different styling, you know. Um, I want to say maybe a little bit more of a, a bold interior, um, yeah. you know, and stuff. And now they've they've kind of all softened just a little bit, so it's a little more car-like, you know, they and have. stuff. Which is, it's not a, not an issue. I mean, the uh, the truck looks good. That, that Ram with that 12-inch screen in it, I think, is going to change the industry a little bit. It's a little Tesla-like, yeah. which is cool. Uh, it brings a lot of new technology, you know, to the segment. The uh, the Chevy, like you said, I mean, you either love it or you hate it with that styling. I mean, it's definitely, it's in your face. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> uh, which is cool. I think in that, uh, the Trail Boss package, holy smokes, that that increases the look, I mean, tenfold for me. I, I like that, that, uh, that more bold look, but that's just me. I'm used to that yeah. kind of desert off-road sort of... Uh, you know, lifted look, whatever. I don't have a lifted truck, but you know, anyways, that's what's popular, I guess, in the, uh, in the Southern, uh, Southwestern States. So anyways, I think people like it. And then, uh, we talked, uh, I mean, as far as the Chevy, like, uh, as we mentioned earlier, it's got some, a, a unique variance of body panels. Some, sometimes they use high strength steel. Sometimes they use just regular steel. Sometimes they use aluminum, you know, they saved a lot of weight. Uh, it'll be interesting. Uh, they didn't, which was really funny to me. You know, Chevy launched that ad campaign to pretty much take down Ford and their their aluminum bed and stuff, dumping rocks and yeah. bricks in the back. And Chevy uh, didn't renege on that. They stuck with their high strength steel bed uh, bottom. So I, I think they uh, they want to keep that alive where they can they can kind of hound on Ford for that one. So, but they just get nicer and they get more expensive. Yep. <laughs> yep. And that's one thing anyway. that the. Uh, no, the Ford Ford lineup, they they released three new trucks and I mean you've got speaking of expensive, I mean you've got everything from the entry level, the new Ranger, which is yeah. awesome. They came up with that. Uh now to this crazy powerful Super Duty that uh now takes the cake in the industry as far as power numbers are concerned, both horsepower and torque. Uh and you can option one of those out those trucks out uh with their limited model to yeah, uh, I want to say it's over a hundred and two thousand dollars or something. That's just yeah. I mean, for a something truck, like that. Yeah, it's it's insane. So yeah. Anyways, I I mean, don't get me wrong, it's a beautiful truck. So. Uh, power, it's just a lot of money. Yeah, they're super <laughs> duties. I mean, their power is uh, absolutely awesome. Um, you know, I mean the the uh, like I said, the horsepower and torque numbers. Um, I actually I don't remember them off the top of my head. Do you remember them? I do. <laughs> yeah, good. There you go. The, He's done his research uh, on this truck. He wants this one. Yeah. The it's nine thirty five in the torque numbers for uh, you know, for the three quarter ton, the diesel. The diesel engine. Mm-hmm. And then as far as horsepower, 
it's it's like oh 460 or 465 okay it just edged yeah i think it's 460 is it 460 now i'm second guessing myself now i want to say it's 450 because i think the uh the chevy is 445 something so anyways yeah, we'll look it up it's some there right around hey it's some more right around there yeah we'll put it in the show notes so that everybody can look it up but. yeah we'll have to now we'll have to have the segment next week where we make corrections yeah right <laughs> anyways it takes the cake anyway. it's right around there with the uh right around that 450 460 horsepower mark and then like you said that uh that 935 it's for yeah. torque it's uh it's a monster so it'll tow uh it's got best in class towing again i think it's up to almost thirty four thousand pounds which i mean you need a you know big old license for that and everything so um yeah kudos to ford and then the f-150 has the new diesel in it which is going to be really cool because it's a uh well shoot sorry the new chevy has a new duramax diesel as well so now all three big manufacturers are going to have something uh for the half ton market uh for the diesel segment too which is yeah that's cool for those of you and and really for those people who who tow that should be a serious consideration Yep. Because you get the torque that you, you get more torque out of those engines than you do the biggest gasoline engine you can put in a half ton. Exactly. You don't get the same amount of horsepower, but you, you're fine on the horsepower numbers with a half ton truck. Where you really gain it is going to be on the torque. So it ought to be a consideration. If you, if you tow a UTV around a lot, a diesel is a, an, even in a half ton that'll get that kind of gas mileage. Yep. You ought to take a look. Yep. Exactly. Man, we went all in on the trucks in this episode so far. Yep. Sorry, guys. We got to move on. We got to get out of this truck world. Yeah. You know. Let's. Uh, I just. Yeah. You want to jump right into the uh, this all new Polaris Razor RS1? Yeah. I I can start, but Casey Casey is the in house expert on this vehicle <laughs> because he has actually driven it. You know, I just kind of got the specs on it. But they just released it what a couple of weeks ago, yep. or no? It was it was or was it a couple of weeks ago. It's, uh, I believe it's the and first. The R- it's called, yeah, it's the it's called the RS one, a Razor RS one. Mm-hmm. What makes it really unique is it's a single seat setup on the same chassis basically as an XP uh, a Razor XP one thousand. Um, and I'll let him uh, like expound on all of this. But single seat, 110 horsepower, and they say it handles like a dream. Yes. Um, and and I also was surprised, for the record, that it comes in at 14, and not more expensive than it is. Right. But uh, but that's what I know about it. Yeah. <laughs> so why don't you, why don't you just have at it? I think it looks like an interesting vehicle. It, I'd like to drive one. You need to drive one. It's uh, it's. It's a great, it's just a great platform. Um, they, so what, what they did is they put the single seat, um, as you can imagine, in the middle of the chassis. Uh, there's, you know, there's still a hump in the middle as far as where the front drive shaft goes through, uh, but they, they mitigated it and, uh, and definitely made it so that you're, you're braking. Uh, the brake pedal is actually a two-stage brake pedal on it. So you can brake with oh, I either. Saw that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's either your right or your left. And, and I find myself two-foot um, driving anyyways all the time. Uh, you know, so you just got to be careful. You don't want to ride the, the brake. Obviously you, you'll end up, uh, uh, you know, having repercussions in the, in the clutch system and stuff and, and the belt itself. But 
um, you know, once you once you get used to it, uh, it's great. So as, as you mentioned, uh, it's based off of the XP1000. So the nitty gritty of this is that the suspension components on this machine are all uh, standard fare with the XP1000. They share the same components. Um, the width is at 64 uh, inches. And the biggest thing I can think of as far as uh, when you look at the differences between the RS1 and the XP1000 is that the RS1 chassis has been shortened uh, seven inches compared to the uh, XP1000. And, and really what that does is it combines with that single seat uh, in the middle and the weight uh, distribution of it and just that shorter wheelbase. And I mean, it literally lives up to its name as like a rally sport style of drive. I mean, you can throw this thing in the corners, you can, uh, and it, it like doesn't even waver. I mean, the, the, the weight bias in it is so centralized that, um, you can, like I said, you can throw it in the corners. It's got very precise turn in. Uh, it really kind of feels, uh, if I'm being completely honest, like a, uh, like an old, like Yamaha quad. I have a, a YFC 450 that I, I love and it, it, the turn in is so precise on, you know, exactly where the, the quad is going to go. And, uh, this is the same thing where, um, you can, uh, you can throw it in and, and be all kinds of sideways and modulate the throttle and bring it around and, and, uh, just have a blast with the car. And cool part about it is it's still got plenty of power with that 110 horse to, uh, to power it out and, and actually, you know, have your power slides and, um, you don't really feel like you're wanting a turbo in this car, um, with it either. So even though you could easily put a turbo on it, um, and one of the reasons for that I say that is because all of the components in this car, they're not XP1000 transmission axles uh, and front uh, differential. They're actually uh, XP turbo components in there. So they upgraded the, uh, the, the powertrain components in there, um, besides the engine, obviously, but they upgraded all those powertrain components. So you've got um, bigger half shafts and, and bigger transmission components. In general, you've got the, the stronger axles, you've got the stronger front diff, um, and all that in this XP1000 chassis. So and we were beating on it when we first drove it um, last year. And these guys were racing. You'll be able to see the, the video up on the Players Razor Facebook page here pretty quick. But, I mean, they were racing the thing. And there was not one failure on this car um, all day. And I, they didn't roll it once, um, which you wouldn't be able to say with an XP1000 either. I'm not trying to dig on players there at all. But it's, uh, it's just it's good to see them upgrading the components. And I have a feeling just based off this fact that uh, the, the XP1000 will be upgraded with these turbo uh, components as well down the road. So Yeah, sounds the other, like uh, that's what their direction they're moving in. Yeah, I think so. And it'll, it'll be better for them. Obviously, um, you mentioned the recalls earlier. I mean, it, it's a definitely something where, you know, they need to upgrade these components so they don't have the recalls um, in the future and stuff. So back to the RS1. I mean, the other main thing that I can, I can say with it is, um, you know, the, the front has a nice uh, storage compartment as well. And the main reason for that is because the radiator has actually been relocated to the back of the car. Um, and what this, what this really does is uh, not only for, for the front, but it gives you some amazing sight lines out the front. Uh, you know, the, the hood is very sloped, so you can see exactly what's in front of you for rock crawling and trail riding and really tight technical trails. I can't imagine anything better as far as sight lines uh, to be able to do this in because you kind of, you sit up just a little bit and it's a, uh, it's just a, it's an amazing um, uh, view out the front of the car. Now I will say if you're riding in the mud, which we did a little bit, uh, 
there are no fenders on this thing, so you get shot <laughs> with the mud uh, pretty good. So that's a that's kind of a, a plus and minus there a little bit, you know, with this car. But uh, they do make big aftermarket fenders uh, that you can bolt onto it as well. So I was gonna ask I was gonna ask about if it was possible to put fenders on it. They do, yeah. Polaris that's already sells them. That's good to know. Them. Yep, they're already as an accessory, yeah. so you can you can bolt the fenders on. I I don't know if the fender gonna go out far enough. Uh, to really, you know, hamper all the mud. But, I mean, hey, you know, whatever. You're going out in the mud, you're going to get dirty anyway. So, I guess uh, it is what it is to some extent. You just don't want it. You don't want it on your goggles the whole time or, your, you know, the front of your um, uh, shield on your, you know, helmet and stuff. So, uh, which we hope. Everybody's got to wear a helmet. So, we're going to keep pushing that. But don't yeah. want you to don't want you to have a limited, you know, view because of the mud either. So, uh, that's going to be a big thing. The other cool deal too is the uh the side uh they actually have an accessory that i didn't see on their website yet but um i hope it comes out soon if it's not already out is they're they're literally a rally style spare tire mount for the side of the car it is a bitchin way to put a spare tire on this car and it'll mount up to a 30 inch tire so if you want to if you want to put a bigger size on it you can uh they had some pro armor tires on it and uh, again with that turbo uh you know grade components on this car uh, you'll be able to uh, upgrade the tires without really changing any clutch components and stuff too. So that'll be nice. Um, I will say, you know, moving front to back here with the radiator in the back, it did take up a lot of space back there. Um, the good part about it is it's a full, it's actually a bigger radiator itself. It's got twin fans on it. So cooling issues are really a thing in the past. Uh, the snorkels for the intakes on the clutch and the intake um, for the the actual uh, air intake for the engine is moved up. They're actually above the cab now in this uh, slick little, uh, I don't even know what you want to call it, but just an intake, you know, piece of plastic up there. Um, uh, and like I said, the only problem with it is, is there's not a lot of storage back there. So you've got one little flat area. They offer a, a storage bag for it. But, you know, as far as, carrying, <laughs> you know, as far as carrying a lot of stuff, it's it's not, don't expect it to be an XP1000 bed. Yeah, it's it's not what it is, so. Yeah. It is what it is. Well, that sounds. I mean, it is an industry first type vehicle, mm -hmm. and Polaris continues to. I saw a comment somewhere. It might have been on YouTube, watching the video, and we'll we can embed those videos for you on uh, our website throttleonpodcast.com under show notes. You know, someone said that it, this is what the Ace was originally supposed to be. And what's funny is that's not true. That's not the case. And we know that's not the case. Right. But it, this is definitely like an expansion on that concept, but it's much more extreme even than say the ACE 900, the, the new ACE 900. Right. The, which I have still not driven, but it looks like a lot of fun. Yeah. And this thing then looks all that much more fun. And I think, uh, wasn't it they entered it into a race? I don't remember remember what which racing series yet but it won the that class of vehicle in the first race ronnie anderson entered it into the uh, first works race of the season and it ended up uh, beating in the i believe i'm not totally sure but uh what i heard is it was actually in the pro class against all the turbos and it beat all of them uh in its first race so i mean obviously ronnie anderson uh, rj's little brother he's a very 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 capable driver uh, and he ended up winning that race against, you know, Travis Pastrana, RJ, uh, Tanner Faust, um, 
you know, all these, all these amazing drivers, right. Uh, were in that race that we, we went through with the RS1 launch and, and he ended up beating them all. So, uh, to say he's capable is, is uh, an understatement, but, uh, very cool that the, the machine is as capable. Now, granted as well, one thing I didn't mention was that, uh, it's got, you know, all the same suspension travel numbers as the XP1000 as well. So 16 in the front, 18 in the rear with the Walker Evan shocks. Um, I believe he raced it on those shocks or probably an upgraded version, um, of those from Walker. Uh, and all of this, uh, comes in to that major awesome price point of, uh, $13,999 too. So pretty cool that you can do that. Uh, the players yeah. has done that, you know, and, and offered it at a, at a less price. I mean, that's, uh, it's three grand less than an XP 1000. So I think it's fair to say this, the RS one is a very specific type user. Who's going to want to buy that. Right. It's, it's not like many of these vehicles. It's not for everybody. I don't really see someone going out who is a trail fanatic and buying that particular car unless they're just by themselves, you know? Right. <laughs> You're since you can't carry anybody. The question is, is it even a side by side, which is funny that that's funny to me. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, it's not going to be for everybody. Some people are going to turn their nose up on it right but is it fair to say it's got quite the fun factor with it just being you and the car and the trail absolutely i mean you can i i think you know based on the fact that you know it's still got that quick steering system um i think it's one and a half you know turns uh, lock to lock uh you know based off of uh the xp turbo um you know steering platform and stuff i think Based off of that, and and the fact that it's you know a little bit lighter than an XP1000, about 170 pounds, and so I mean you can you can wheel this thing through the trails, and it's very direct. Whereas like an Ace 900, non-XC model, uh, I mean it's got plenty of power, but I mean it's it's a handful when you're trying to go fast through the trails. Whereas this machine is so planted, the RS1 tracks straight, uh, it tracks true, and the, I mean the center you know center weight balance in it. Um, it just, it just helps with all of that, you know, and going through, you know, slick corners where you, you might get two wheels up or something, or, it, you know, the, the tires grab on the outside and kind of tips you up. But at the same time, it doesn't, doesn't tip you up unpredictably because that center weight balance again, um, allows you to keep, you know, solid to the ground. So it doesn't react in any unforgiving or, or, uh, you know, uncanny ways. So it's a blast to drive. I think everybody should at least try one. Like you said, it's not going to be for everybody because, you know, we like talking to each other and, and having having a good conversation, you know, with the other person next to us. Uh, but if you're a guy that loves to go to the sand dunes and race your buddies to, to the hill at night, you know, and stuff, and, I mean, I could see five five or ten of these things getting in a heated battle, you know, racing through the dunes or racing through the desert or something and just av- having an absolute blast. Because it's just, everybody's got the same power and, and it's just a fun, you know, it's a fun vehicle to drive. So that's what I'm looking forward to. That's what I want them for. So. Yeah, I'm looking forward to driving it, just kind of experiencing it. Yep. So. All right. So to wrap it up on the RS1, what are two things that you really like about it? And give me at least, give me at least one thing that you're not a huge fan of. Yep. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a big fan of the, uh, shorter wheelbase. Um, it actually, it's not going to go as well through the whoops or anything, but it, it handles better through the tight wooded areas and tight trail sections. 
and just being able to flick it around is awesome. Uh, my second thing that I, I really like about it is all of the powertrain upgrades. Uh, that is key to this vehicle and what really makes it special. Um, so I think uh, between the handling and that powertrain, um, those are two very key components. Everything else is pretty standard Razor Fair. The, in, the dash, shifters, the seat, everything else is pretty much, uh, while it's got its own design in the RS1, it's pretty much carryover um, from, uh, from the, you know, Razor lineup. One thing that I'm, uh, not a huge fan of is, uh, the lack of storage. Uh, there's, there's not a lot of good places. Uh, the dash has a couple cubbies that aren't covered. Uh, the front section does have under the hood, there's a, a seal, uh, not really a sealed, but it is a weather sort of sealed, uh, section that you can carry, you know, little things in. Um, and then the back doesn't have a lot of storage. So that's kind of my main gripe about it is that if I was going to take this thing on a big, you know, two or three day adventure, uh, that would be tough to do and tough to, to put everything in there. Um, have to get a, you need. a so. roof rack. <laughs> Some you kind could. Of a roof rack. Yeah. You'd have to build something over the back or, I mean, the roof is not really wide. It's basically an ACE chassis on the top. So, um, it's, it's just not, yeah, it's not real wide and can't accommodate a whole lot. So it'd be it'd be interesting. You know, I think they'll make bags for the top, which will be nice, um, you know, and, and maybe stuff that's next to the seat. But other than that, um, it's going to be a little tough to, uh, you know, to put that in. So main two things are the driving and driving upgraded components, man. It's a blast. So. so let's move on to our final kind of discussion thing we wanted to talk about, and that is the King of the Hammers race that went on last week that we both had the opportunity to go watch firsthand. Yes, that was a fun one. I'm glad you finally got to experience it. I don't want to lose a bunch of our listeners on the racing side of this. So I thought we'd kind of talk about it in terms of kind of walking everybody through what the race is and what it was like. For all the times that I've seen press releases and photos from it, of course, none of that did it justice. But uh, I thought we'd kind of look at it, you know, from that point of view. Uh, for those who have never seen it, and in some cases, a lot of you guys probably have never even heard of the race. Yeah. So why don't we stab at it from that way? So, yeah, so basics. Uh, King of the Hammers is pretty much the ultimate one-day uh, desert-slash-rock race. Um, they, they mold in this basically this area called Johnson Valley in, in Landers, California. I mean, uh, right next to Landers, it's, it's this big open desert and it's right next to big rain base, but there's, there's really nothing out there besides dry lake beds. And so what happens is that King is, of, that is safe to say yeah, that there's, there's not much of anything out there right. other than the dry lake bed. <laughs> yeah, so they, they basically take over this dry lake bed and they fence in a full city when King of the Hammers and it's for an entire week that this race takes place. It's once a year. And like I said, they, they mold together. They've got a couple different classes. Um, they have motorcycles, UTVs, and then two different days where they race uh, vehicle classes and the, the uh, uh, unlimited cars or something to be seen, but we'll, we'll talk more about that another day or you can go look it up. Um, there's a lot of videos on there that shows Shannon Campbell and Lauren Healy and all these guys that uh, do amazing stuff with these ultra four cars. But the UTV race always takes place on Wednesday and it molds together two different styles of tracks. It molds together the desert style, which is uh, more open, whooped out. You know, you got to be able to build a car that can go fast through that. But then also the next style of track is where you go through these gnarly, gnarly rock climbs, you know, up down these 
uh, huge, huge hills and, and gaps. Like basically you're going down. I think you saw backdoor, which is a, which is a rock. Oh, challenge. I did. Yeah. I mean, it's a, I would just also like to add that the, some of the names for some of these tracks sections. Yeah. Pretty fantastic. Oh, yeah, you got backdoor. You got chocolate thunder. You got outer limits. Chocolate thunder. <laughs> yeah, chocolate thunder. You've got spooners is one that we went to. Uh, I don't, oh, there are no else? words. Yeah, there's there's a lot of good ones out there. Um, and these are all normal trails that you, like if you wanted to go out there and ride on any given weekend, you could totally do that. It's to, it's it's open. Yeah. to recreation. Um, so they they do their thing at once a year. And uh, anyways, yeah, you got to come out on Wednesday and experience the race. Uh, so the UTV race. Yeah. So tell us, tell us a little about your experience from, from your first time okay. perspective. Uh, first of all, the numbers of people that come out to wait for it, Hammertown and, and no, I don't see MC Hammer singing on this deal, but whatever. For those of you who don't know who MC Hammer is, I'm not going to explain it. YouTube it. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. So Hammertown is the city that sprouts up in the middle of the desert, in the middle of nowhere, that the race, the short course comes through part of it. And it's like 45,000 people show up to camp and hang out for this amount of time. And you, it's just, which is mind boggling to me. I mean, I live in a town of 20,000 people. So the idea that you're going to put 45,000 people in this little area is just amazing. But it works. People do it. Mm-hmm. And so um, that was kind of really surprising to me. And then when you look at the course itself, uh, the pictures I've seen never have done it any justice whatsoever. Yeah. The fast desert stuff I've seen. But the trails in between these mountains, these gullies that go in between these big hills, mountainous looking things that these UTVs have to either go up or go down with the rocks is, uh, I see why they say it's the hardest, most difficult, most gnarly race in the U S and in some cases in the world, especially on the rock side. Uh, it was just amazing to watch these UTVs traverse this stuff. Yeah. And and part of me, as you said, the fact that you could go out and run them on a weekend if you wanted to made me want to run some of it. Some of it <laughs> is just way too extreme. You really would have to have, you would have to expect to flip over for real. Yeah. You're going to wind up on the, on your, on your roof in a stock car and you certainly wouldn't want to run it without harnesses. Um, but you would have to just expect you're going to flip over, especially if you're a novice driver in that terrain. Some of it, though, I looked at and I was like, yeah, we could do that. You would just have to pick your lines very cautiously. And some of it is just really too extreme. But to then for these guys to be doing that in a race was amazing. And the different approaches that they would take. Some of them would do the classic more power approach to some of those obstacles and just try to power up it with wheels spinning and throwing rocks everywhere. Others on certain obstacles would just decide to pull up to it and wince themselves over because part of, I learned this through this experience and something you've mentioned before, a lot of racing is just keeping the vehicle in one piece so you can finish the race. And those who know the balance between pushing it 
and just being conservative are usually the ones that win. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these obstacles, you know, you push it too hard, you wind up breaking an axle. You winch up everything. There's no way you can finish in an amount of time where you can podium. It was just really unbelievable to watch. Now, and and I will say this too, and this was the first obstacle we saw. And what's funny, what was it? The one with the extreme drop that everybody was flipping over on. That was back was that door. Back door? That yep. was back door. And this first obstacle we went to, and part of the benefit of being press is we get to go into areas right up, right up by the machines as they come down these obstacles. But there was, it was like a, a very significant decline over rocks where even these travel numbers of having 20 inches of travel, you're still putting wheels in the air. And they would come off this drop and the front tires would have to hit. And when, but you had enough momentum coming off the rock that one of two things is going to happen. Either the UTV, the front wheels are going to grab and you have to stay on the gas so that the rear end comes down or what happened to a lot of people is they would, that front end would fall and then the car would topple forward and wind up on the roof. And so watching that, like some people were successful and some people were not. We were there for a lot of the highlights that you see on YouTube or on some of the websites like Polaris has a video. Um, Polaris factory racer, Mitch, Mitch Guthrie Jr. won the race in a razor. It's a modified razor, but the chassis is... I mean, it's the same length and width and whatever. And he would come off that, that particular drop, and it would. It seemed that that smaller wheelbase worked much better than the X3s. The X3s would come off that, the Maverick X3, and because of its length, would tend to topple forward or topple to the side, flipping them over. Hmm. And the Razor seemed to have more effectiveness there. It was amazing to watch this race play out. It, it was really amazing. Mm-hmm. And I would just say, if you have the opportunity to go see it and you can travel out there, it's an experience. If not, watch some videos. You know, look at the photos. But I would tell you, take it a step further, watch the videos. Because the photos don't do it justice. They just doesn't. So that's my experience. I love it. That's awesome. That's, I mean, in a shoot, in that uh, nutshell, that, that's what KOH is all about right there. I mean, it is a proving ground for vehicle development for these manufacturers. Oh, yeah. It really it really is. And to see, I mean, the guys who race uh, this particular race, unlike some of the other ones, you know, they go out and they're going to see what's going to break. Um, and the factory racers, that gives the OEMs an advantage to see where their points of failure are going to be in extreme conditions. And it is funny that a lot of everyday people find those extreme conditions, not the extreme of King of the Hammers. People break stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. And this race will show you where your vehicle will fail. Right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and where more power just doesn't work, mm-hmm. which was also really funny. Some obstacles, some of the, some of the more experienced drivers would just power over and they didn't care. I mean, they just used some momentum, catch a wheel, didn't care about if they smacked anything while other ones would come up to it, try a couple of times, just not so aggressively, realize they couldn't get past it and wind up having to winch. Right. Um, so watch the videos, people. Watch some of the highlights on the videos. And this is something you've seen multiple times. Yeah, Casey no, actually was there for like multiple days and saw all kinds of, 
uh, I know you got a ton of good photography of, of these different obstacles and different vendors that were out there. And, and I mean, and there's some crazy money up for grabs. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, definitely contingency is, is there for a lot of these guys. Uh, Yamaha was offering it and, and that kind of stuff too. So I think, uh, you know, more than ever, they're, they're definitely, uh, they're definitely trying to promote the race and, and Can-Am being title sponsor and then HCR racing being the, uh, you know, um, uh, presenting sponsor. So there, there's money flowing into this race. There was 118 entries, uh, only 12 finished this year. So the, the course was definitely the toughest it's ever been. Uh, and, and wasn't I think, it a hundred, 118 UTV entries? Yeah. Was that across the board? No, that's what I thought it was UTVs. UTVs. There was over 400 race vehicles on the lake bed this year. Yeah. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. And I mean, it brings big names from everywhere. So it's pretty cool. Um, I think, uh, you know, they're definitely, they're expanding the sport and they've done something that, uh, you know, no one else can do. You can ride your UTV on race day to the different, uh, spectator areas, which is really cool. Uh, I, you know, or your truck or motorcycle or whatever you want, you know, you can ride it up there. So anyways, pretty cool. You should go experience it, you know, for once, you know, for yourself too. Yeah. He mentioned that you could drive your, your, like your truck or whatever. I would, after seeing kind of the way it's laid out, if you're going to go to this particular race, you've got to have some way to go from the different obstacles to the other obstacles and back to the main like part of the racing area. As you said, I spectator areas or Hammertown where all the vendors are, you've got to have a way to do that. And there were people out there in, in trucks and all, but I would tell you, you need a side by side or an ATV. Right. Uh, if you don't have that, it's going to be very tricky to get some of those obstacles, find a place to park and let's face it, the UTV and ATV and moto, moto guys that are out there can weigh, weave in and out. It's pretty unnerving. If you were in a car, it would be pretty unnerving. Yeah. So I would recommend that and, uh, you know, and bring some water. Yeah, <laughs> It right. is the desert. But it was pleasant. I mean, the high was what? In the lower 70s on Wednesday? Um, and it was super cool in the morning. But when you get out there and you're in the sun... And sun's bouncing off the rocks and all that. Um, you know, you want to be prepared for that. Yep, exactly. So, so you would go back, there right? There you go. I would go back. Okay. I would go back. Yes. Cool. Yeah. Well, good. Well, that's, uh, that's I think, all we have for the race circuit there. Something for today. It's kind of fun. I came back with a greater appreciation of it. Certainly a greater appreciation for the guys that you know, run this stuff, especially the ones that aren't sponsored, but just want to be able to say they've done it. And frankly, Casey, I think you and I at some point in our life are going to have to, going to have to race it and just finish the race. Like we're not going to podium. I think that's, that's pretty much a fact, but to be able to run the course what and just finish about? in that amount of time. What yeah. I, I don't know. Was... I'm not, I don't want to set too high of an expectation, but that would be really funny of us to, could podium on King of Hammers. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, hey. Oh, it's, man. Uh, it's not out of the question, that's for sure. Yeah, um, it's not out of the question. Now, I do believe there's some luck involved in it. A, yeah. a whole lot of skill and a little bit of luck. Yeah. You got to not be able to break stuff, obviously. But, yep. We'll, yeah. We'll get there. One of these days. One of these days. So. 
Well, guys, that I think that wraps up this episode. We've covered a lot. We've dove deep on a couple of a uh, couple of things, maybe deeper than I think we had even planned. But uh, we hope you guys have enjoyed it. We'll be back here soon. We've got on another episode coming up. In fact, the next episode, we're going to be able to talk about the Wildcat Double X that is that is being released. We can't give you any details. We have on both of our media outlets, on Instagram and Facebook, we were allowed, we've driven it, and we were allowed to take or release one photo of it with the Textron helicopter, which was pretty friggin' awesome. And you guys can check out what it looks like, and then we'll talk all about it and what we liked, what we didn't, and just about the machine. I will say it was a lot of fun to drive. I can say that, but that's all I can say. There you no go. details. Check out our show notes at throttleonpodcast.com. We'll throw up some King of the Hammer videos and maybe some photos. You guys can check that out and the RS1 links to different videos and photos of that. And just so every time what we talk about, we try to put up links to that stuff on our website. So thanks a bunch for listening and we'll catch you next time. Take care, guys.